0: So today is a very um, important day to me because my uh, grandson, Ryder, is turning eight today. And it's so funny how you can look back and I can remember eight years ago, my daughter was sure he was going to be early, so she made me go up there on on October 30th. And we waited for two weeks for his arrival. (laughs) And I remember I had never watched House Hunters before. But I think I saw every episode that there was of House Hunters plus Perry Mason. It was, uh, you know, what do you do when you're waiting? You know, you're just waiting for the arrival and you're just like, anything yet? Anything? So two weeks later he came, but um, I just adore this, this little guy, this little guy who's getting big. He just uh, made a video writing his um, present that he got from Grandma and Grandpa B. that's our name, for Broderson, but where Grandma and Grandpa being, and um, he made me a, a video, his dad did, of writer riding, riding the little bike that we gave him for his birthday. <laughs> it's so cute. He's like, his dad says, What do you want to say? And he says, Thank you, Grandma, hashtag best grandma in the world. And you're like, I live for that moment. But I think that's so funny. He said it, Hashtag, hashtag, because he got his present early. We had to have a face talk about that and all the reasons he needed his present early because he knew what it was and he wanted it early. But while he was living with us, he loved to play dot-to-dot. We liked to do dot-to-dot books. And I would have the right side and he would have the left side. And we would open these books and we would look at the pictures. There were 50 dots and we would guess what they were going to be. It might be a car. It might be a train. It might be a building. Or it could be an animal, like a shark or a squirrel or a monkey. And I'd say, I think mine's going to be an elephant. And he'd say, you know, I think mine's going to be a man-eating shark. And then I'd have to wait. And he'd say, ready, set. And he'd start putting his together. You know, and he'd get to, like, number 10. And he goes, okay, go, Grandma. You know, you're like... And I always had to make sure he won the dot-to-dot. Dot. That's just part of being a good grandma. And we never knew what image for sure. In fact, a couple times I was really surprised by those dot-to-dot dot books. I was sure in my mind what it was going to be, and it turned out to be a camel and not an elephant, which was something else. But sometimes our life is like those those pages of dot-to-dots. We have these marked moments in our lives Times of deliverance or times of divine provision. Testimonies where you can look back and say, wow, God did this and God did this and God did this. And they're kind of spaced apart. Just like if you look at the children of Israel through the Exodus, it was kind of spaced apart, these miracles. And yet as we begin to connect the dots in our own life of these times where, where we've really felt and known the presence of God, an image emerges. An image emerges of a faithful God, of God's hand with us and upon us, of a delivering God, of a sustaining God, of a God who pours out his grace upon us, and of a very, very present God. I have a friend who just went to be with the Lord about six months ago. His name was Will Templeton. He was 95 years old. Just one of the most amazing men. Ever. And I knew that Will had accepted the Lord later in life. He had been in his late 40s when he gave his life to Jesus. So knowing that he was getting close to heaven's gates, because he told us he was, he, even, <laughs> he and his wife um, came up to visit Brian to give us his funeral plans. So we would know exactly what hymns and what songs he wanted at his funeral He was just this amazing Christian man that we absolutely adored. But I wanted to hear his testimony. And so I said to Will, so, Will, tell me, you accepted the Lord later in life. What finally did it for you? And he said he couldn't do it that way. Will was very strong. I can't do it that way. That's not the way to do it, Cheryl. I need to go back and I need to connect the dots for you. And I said, all right. So then he starts telling me, now, I was in California and my dad got a transfer to New York when I was 11 years old. And when I was back in Upper State, New York, my dad's boss's daughter came with her best friend to the door. And the boss's daughter's best friend was Connie, my wife. And that was a divine moment. And then he said, he told me about other moments in his life that were nothing less than divine. And yet he hadn't received the Lord, but he knew there was something in that moment. He talked about being on the ship that the first ship into Tokyo Bay to receive the surrender of Japan during World War II. He told us of being in the South Pacific when waves over 50 feet tall were assaulting the aircraft carrier that he was on. And of God saving him again and again and again. And so he said, sometime around when he was 48, he just connected the dots in his life. And when he connected those dots, he saw the picture of a God that had been an active force in his life for a long time. The picture of a Savior loving him took shape. And he received Jesus as his Savior the same could be said for David. David, called by different titles, I love how God always refers to David as my servant David. David saw himself as a shepherd or the sweet psalmist of Israel, anointed by God, and others saw David as hero and king. But David could look back over his life and he could connect the dots of God's faithfulness. In 2 Samuel 4, 9, David had just been given the throne of of Judah and he was about to receive the throne of Israel. By this time, he had been in Hebron reigning over Judah for seven years. And he he was about to be given the throne of all of Israel. All those promises that God gave him were about to come to fulfillment. And he says this, In 2 Samuel 4, 9, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity, David at this point could look back and connect all the dots in his life. And what emerged was a God who had redeemed him over and over again from all adversity. Now, this word redeemed is an interesting word. It doesn't mean spared, it doesn't mean kept him from. Rather, it means made it worthwhile. David could say, The God who made every hard place in my life worthwhile. So, David was actually saying, All that I've been through, God made it count for something. He made it purposeful, He made it important. But it also implies more than just giving it worth. It also implies deliverance. The God who delivered me in all these different places and made it worthwhile. This is what the picture is that's emerging as David begins to connect the dots. He saw a picture of God as redeemer or restorer. He would write in Psalm 23:3, He restores my soul. He would write in Psalm 30:11 that God had turned his mourning into dancing. This is the same picture that we have in the minor prophet Joel 2:25, where Joel writes, um, he writes this as he is taking notes on what God is saying to him. God says through the prophet Joel, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, my great army that I sent among you. God is a God that restores. He gives value to every adversity. He's the God who redeems, who saves us and gives value to all of our adversity. Paul would say this concerning God as our Savior, 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. God has delivered, is delivering, and will deliver God is a deliverer. One of my favorite songs is the hymn, He is able to deliver us. He is able to deliver me. He is able to deliver me. You know that one. Though by sin oppressed, go to him for rest. I'll never be a choir director. (laughs) I can see I'm not getting the choir to sing. The choir's just going, okay. I don't think we know that one good one. Sometimes we fail to see God as a deliverer. And if we are failing to see God as a redeemer and a deliverer, it's because we are not connecting the dots. We're not looking back retrospectively and seeing how God has always been there. He has always been there. He has always been working. Maybe maybe it's because we're saying, well, you know, I got myself out of that or I barely escaped that one. Maybe we are believing in fortuitous concurrences of nature. Maybe we are believing that time just made it heal. And we need our eyes opened that we might look back And see God actively working in our lives. At this point in David's life, he could connect the dots. He had been a shepherd in the fields of Bethlehem. That's not an easy position. Maybe you have this picture of David playing the harp in a bucolic field, and the sheep are just going, Yeah, man, dig it, it's so good. Love that harp. I'm not running away, I love the harp. I'm just gonna stay right here next to my shepherd. But that's not true. That's not the right scene of what it was like to be in those Bethlehem fields. The reality is much more active, much more dangerous. In those days, there were no fences to keep the sheep from wandering. So they needed constant supervision There were no borders to keep the sheep all together. So the shepherd had to be actively always bringing the sheep together. The shepherd had to watch in all directions for predators. The predators, not only ferocious and hungry bears, but lions and thieves and raiders. And not only that, but they were subject to the elements in the fields from rain and wind and heat and cold and even snow. David, in speaking to Saul, the King Saul, he said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. David had had encounters with bears and lions. He wasn't saying, oh, there was a possibility. He was saying, I have taken care of bears. In fact, he talked about grabbing the bear by the beard. I didn't know bears had beards because I've never been that close to a bear. I saw two cute ones at a zoo one time through plexiglass, and that was just about as close as I ever wanted to be to a bear. My dad told the story of being in Yosemite. His parents used to go camping every year, and hearing this lady just screaming these death-curdling screams. So he grabbed um, whatever was near him, some kind of stick, and he went charging into the tent next door, and he said, there's this big old brown bear licking the cold cream, the strawberry cold cream off of this lady's face. And she's just like, <laughs> and uh, my dad, he said, he doesn't know what happened. It just had to be the Lord. Cause he was a teenager. He took his stick and he just chased that bear right out of the tent. And the bear ran away from him. But David talked about grabbing the bear by the beard. And then he talked about Taking the lion and taking the lamb right out of the lion's mouth. I mean, that's amazing. And he's a kid. He's just a kid when he has these experiences in the field. Not only that, but there would have been snakes in that field. I mean, he's like, oh, yeah, snakes, that's nothing. I can't believe that's nothing. Did I tell you about the lady in Tallahassee, the sweet lady Catherine with the flip flaps on that were kind of worn through? And we're walking up to the cottage where we're staying. And this red snake comes out and starts going towards her, her foot. And I'm like, snake, snake, because I hate snakes. And if there weren't four women, I would have run away. But they were there and they said it was scarier out there because there are alligators. So I'm right near, I'm staying on the threshold, you know, just watching this red snake going after her foot in this flip-flop. And she goes, oh, that's just a worm. And she kicks it away with her flip-flop. And then it goes under the threshold. And I'm like, I have to step over that threshold. And I'm trying to be brave because I'm their speaker. (laughs) And I need to look like I'm a woman of faith. (laughs) Yeah, snakes. Yeah, nothing. But David in these fields, you know, he didn't even mention the snakes. Because they were that little worm. They were nothing. He was dealing with bears and lions and raiders. People that wanted to steal that sheep. Those sheep, not just that one, but the others also. But David could connect the dots. He could say, God delivered me from a bear. He delivered me from the lions. He delivered me in the field. And he is able to deliver me. Next, we see that God delivered David from the Philistine giant in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Goliath was over nine and a half feet tall. The tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. He was covered in bronze armor. He even had a helmet of bronze. And he had been a warrior since his youth. He comes out against David with a sword, a spear, a javelin, and an armor bearer. And there's David, no armor on, just his everyday clothes as a shepherd in Israel. And his only weapon is a sling with five smooth stones. But David was absolutely confident in the Lord's deliverance. He said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines. mean, David's like, hey, you're just small potatoes. Wait till you see what I do to your friends. The carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword, spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. We're told then that Goliath arose and drew near to David. And David actually ran at the giant, like, let's get this going. And he takes a stone, he puts it in the sling. He starts it going round and round. And that stone hit the only place that was vulnerable on Goliath, right straight into the forehead, and the giant went down. Now, when I was growing up in Sunday school, we used to sing a song, Only a Boy Named David. This is my singing day. Only a little sling. Only a boy named David, but he could pray and sing. So that was one of the songs, and it talks about the sling, and the sling went round and round and round, and one little prayer went up to God, and the giant came tumbling down. Well, Ryder, um, the eight-year-old today, when he was a little boy, well, he actually has a thing called apraxia, which is a disconnect from his um, brain to his mouth. He's brilliant. He's very, very smart. In fact, when he tested, he tested very brilliant and very manipulative, which I already knew. (laughs) But he had to have special lessons to learn how to talk. And though he couldn't talk, he could sing that song. In fact, we got him to be, at three, we got him to be in our Christmas play that we did because we, he didn't want to put on the costume, but we told him, okay, it was a lie. I'm sorry, it was his mother, not me. I just went along with it. But she told him it was David's costume. And he's like, only a boy named David? Yes, only a boy named David. All right, I want to wear it. So he came down the aisle at three years old in only a boy named David's costume with his tongue out. You didn't see it, but his, he was sticking his tongue out at everybody. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, how cute. He's like, I told you, highly manipulative. He's, he's one of those kids that only a grandma can love. Adore. But he was so taken with it. So he, when he was tested for his apraxia, they're asking him, do you know row, row, row your boat? And he starts going... And round 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 and 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 one little prayer went up to God and the dragon came tumbling down. And then he got off his (laughs) head. And Kristen's like, oh God, don't let these people who are testing him know what he's singing. She's like, she was afraid that they were going to, Michael and she were going to get in trouble for, you know, what kind of violent stories are you telling this child and teaching him songs? So they're praying that they don't understand and they don't understand. So the tests come back. And again, he's highly intelligent. He's got a praxy, And the girl looks at her and says, and we're both Christians and know the story of David. And winks. God delivered David from the bear, the lion, the predators. God delivered David from the giant... But God also delivered David from Saul's jealousy, which turned into a murderous vendetta, as jealousy often does. We're told in 1 Samuel 18, verse 11, that Saul sought to spear David twice. He tried to entrap him at a dinner in which he had ordered his servants to kill David in 1 Samuel 20. But David was divinely warned. He tried to take David from his house and kill him. But David escaped through the window in 1 Samuel 19. Saul then went to Ramah because he heard that David was with Samuel. And Saul sent three different armies down to capture David. And I love what happened with every army. Every army was filled with the Holy Spirit and the men began to prophesy. So Saul, after the third army is down in Ramah prophesying with Samuel, decides to go down himself. He's going to take care of David himself. And what happens when he gets down to Ramah? We're told that he's overcome by the Holy Spirit. He strips down bare and he's writhing on the ground prophesying. God knew how to take care of David. At another time, when David was in the wilderness of Maon, Saul was almost on David. David was moments away from being captured when Saul received news that the Philistines had invaded Israel and Saul was called away. Another time when David was in the wilderness of En Gedi, Saul went into the very cave that David was hiding in. But God again delivered David. Another time in the wilderness of Zith, Saul came with 3,000 chosen men, but a great sleep fell on Saul. And then we're told in 1 Samuel 23 verse 14 that Saul sought David every day, but God did not deliver David into his hand. We also see that God delivered David from the Philistines. Saul thought that he could have David killed by the Philistines if he just required a dowry from David that would require him going among the Philistines. But David completed this dowry and was not slain by the Philistines. We read in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel that David was actually captured by the Philistines in Gath. And the Philistine leaders were saying, wait, 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 this is the one that they sing about in Israel. He's a hero in Israel. We've got to do something about him. But in the court of Achish, David feigned madness. And Achish was like, get this madman out of my court. I can find a Philistine madman. I don't need an Israelite one too. And David was spared. In chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, David was ready to go with the Philistines into battle. No doubt he had plans to, to turn and to fight for Israel. Nevertheless, God spared David again from fighting alongside the Philistines or losing his life in the very battle in which Saul and Jonathan died. God also, at this point, had spared David from betrayal. Michael, his first wife, lied to Saul and said that David had threatened her in 1 Samuel 19. So he was betrayed by his wife, and then we read that Michael, his wife, married another man. He was spared from Doag, the Edomite, who told Saul exactly where David was and how he had conspired with the priests at Nob in 1 Samuel 22. In 1 Samuel 23, we're told how David was betrayed by the Ziphites, who informed Saul of David's hiding place in the wilderness. They were looking, they were spying on David so that they could betray him. These were his own countrymen. We're told also in 1 Samuel 23 that David heard that the Philistines had attacked the people of Keilah. David went down with his men and they delivered the people of Keilah from the Philistines. While they were in Keilah with these people, word came that Saul was coming to Keilah As David prayed, he said, Lord, will the people of Keilah deliver me into the hands of Saul? And the Lord said, yes. And David was betrayed by the very people he had saved. We're told in 1 Samuel 30 that David was betrayed by his own men. Remember, these were the men that David accepted when they were distressed and indebted and discontent and brought them in and took care of them in the wilderness and other places, looked out for them. But when the Amalekites invaded Ziglag, the place where David and his men were living, and the Amalekites took the wives and children of David's men and burned down Ziglag, the men wept until they couldn't weep anymore and they talked about stoning David but David strengthened himself in the Lord and inquired of the Lord. And by the grace of God, attacked the Amalekites and regained everything and more that was taken. But we see God saving David, even in this. We see God also saving David from himself. In chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, David has this opportunity, again going back to that cave in Gedi to kill Saul. At that moment, he's, there's Saul. He's vulnerable. And David, David can be free of all the circumstances. He could just take it into his hands, deal with Saul, and it's over. And we're told that David's men are saying, do it. Do it. Kill Saul. Get rid of it. You can relieve us. You can relieve yourself. But David refuses to touch the Lord's anointed and to save himself. Then David is also delivered from himself, from his own temper. In chapter 26 of 1 Samuel, we read that he was maltreated by Nabal. He had protected Nabal's sheep and Nabal's shepherds in the wilderness. And all he was asking to do was to come to the banquet that Nabal was preparing for his men. And usually that was one where the whole community was invited in when the sheep were sheared. And Nabal had made all this food, but he did not want David there. And he actually insulted David saying, there are many slaves that run away from their masters. I'm not going to take care of slaves. And David was so angry that he had his men put their weapons on and get ready to go back to Nabal's house and to destroy Nabal and his whole household. But as we know the story, Abigail, the wife of Nabal came out and stopped David by reminding David of the promises of God and saying, David, someday you'll be king. And when you are king, you don't want Nabal to be a blight on your record. You don't want this guy to have any power over you. You don't want this story to mar your perfect record. You don't wanna give him that much importance as his name is, which Nabal means stupid or foolish. So is he. God stopped David from his own temper and his own anger. Also, we read how God spared David from himself, from killing Saul again in the wilderness of Ziph, 1 Samuel chapter 27. That was when the deep sleep fell on Saul and his 3,000 men And David with his nephew Abishai snuck into the camp of Israel and he was right above Saul with Saul's captain Abner right next to him. And Abishai was saying, go ahead. This is, this is a moment the Lord has given you. And if you won't spear Saul through, I'll do it for you. And David said, don't touch him. Someday God will take care of him. He might die in battle, He might die of natural causes, but it will not be my hand that is lifted up against Saul. And instead, David took spears, uh, sorry, spear of Saul and the water jug, got a safe distance away and said, Saul, Abner, look what I have. Look how close I was. I could have taken your life, but I didn't. Please let my life be as much value to you as your life is to me. And so David, at this point, As he's taken the throne of Judah and he's looking back, Saul was indeed killed by the Philistines, could look back and see the faithfulness of God. He could connect the dots in his life. Bear, lion, sheep, Philistine, Philistine army, going on to God's deliverance from the Philistines in different places, deliverance from Saul, And what came was a picture of a faithful God who had preserved and redeemed his life from every adversity. But God isn't finished with Saul. And I think this is so important. God isn't finished with David. And I think this is so important for us to realize because sometimes we as women think that there's an apex in our life. We kind of do the Ebenezer, hitherto has the Lord helped me. But now I'm on my own. Don't we? Don't we do this? We have one of these great moments in our lives and we're like, I guess that means that was it. That was the great moment of my life. I got married and now I'm on my own taking care of this man. But that's not the end. In fact, it says in Psalm 48, 14 that God will be our guide even unto death. He's not letting go of us until we're in The totalitarian part of his promises. Until we are in heaven itself, God will be with us. God will be working for us. I was listening to a pastor the other day, and he was teaching on Romans chapter seven, and the teaching was uh, glorious. And he was saying, he was saying something along the lines of, Before we're saved, we cannot have victory. But after we're saved, we cannot lose victory. We cannot lose. You see, before we know God, we have no assurance of victory. We we can't win for losing. But after we know God, even if we lose, we win because God will use it in our life for glory. So we go from glory to glory to glory. And as we connect these dots, this portrait of a faithful God emerges. But he Doesn't deliver us to get us to a certain point on earth than to leave us on our own our God never leaves us nor forsakes us he never stops delivering us Hebrews 13 5 and 6 I think I say this verse every week for he himself has said I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me there would be more deliverances in David's life. God was absolutely committed to preserving David in the promises, through the promises, by the promises, and to all the promises. So David, at the latter end of his reign, having reigned 40 years over Judah, 33 years over Israel and Judah combined, could say this in 1 Kings one twenty-nine as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. He's still saying it. There were more distresses. There was more adversity. In fact, that word um, distress is the same Hebrew word as adversity. I don't know why it was translated distress in this place and adversity earlier. But God was still very active even after David received the kingdom of Judah. And received the kingdom of Israel. God hadn't stopped delivering David. God hadn't stopped giving David these, these divine moments of clarity, of redemption. In fact, after David took the throne, we find that he was delivered from battles. The battle, he won the battle against the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites. Zobah and the Syrians. In fact, there is not one battle that you read of that David fought in that he did not win. Every battle ended in victory. There is not one loss to the kingdom of Israel when David is king, but it was victory, 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 victory. At one point, Joab had gone into battle, Joab being David's general and nephew with his brother Abishai, again, David's nephew. And they were outnumbered. The Syrians had joined with the Ammonites and they were coming on both sides. And Joab saw that the battle line was against them. And he turned to Abishai and he said, you fight these guys, I'll fight this side. And if you need me, I'll come to your aid. And if I need you come to my aid, but let us be strong and fight for our people and the cities of our God, and may the will of the Lord be done. And it was a victory, 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 victory. And David could look back and say, wow, (laughs) God delivered and delivered and delivered and delivered and redeemed and redeemed and redeemed. God also Delivered David from the consequences of his own sin. In 2 Samuel 11 through 12, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He should have been stoned. He had her husband murdered. He should have been stoned. And yet, when David repented, when he said, I have sinned, the prophet Nathan said, You are forgiven. God redeemed and delivered David from David sins. This is what our God does. He delivers us from our own nature, from our own sin. He, sometimes God, have you ever felt that God backs up and, and he lets you, he lets you see what you really are. And you're like, please come back quick. I'm scaring myself. You know, cause we have that duality in our nature, don't we? I mean, last night I got so mad at Brian. I couldn't believe I could be that mad at Brian. Because he was sitting in the black chair while I was trying to pack for the retreat. And I didn't know what I was going to wear. And I was having dilemma after dilemma after dilemma. And he was telling me what I needed to do today. You know how men do that? And I was like, are you aware that I have to be at the church at eight and I have to be packed and I'm going to the retreat. Yes, but you need to call this person and you need to do this and you need to do that. I'm like, when? When am I going to do this? And I said, you know what? I'm just going to be honest with you. I want to call you stupid, but I won't. Because I don't want to sin. But that's what I want to call you. And it's right there. And he goes, yeah, I can tell. Go ahead. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to do it. But I've got a stupid hanger right here. And I've got stupid shoes. I've got a stupid closet. And I'm stupid, 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 but not you. Just me. And you know, I was really losing it. The pressure of packing, knowing I was going to be seen by women at a retreat. And of course, everybody cares what I wear. <laughs> That's what's important about life. You know, And I, I'm kind of like, God, where are you right now? You know, please come back to me. Because, you know, I just listened to the best Bible study. I just finished the best book on C.T. Stud. Doesn't help you. You know, as Brian's doing in Colossians, these are no help against the indulgences of the flesh. It was just like, Lord. And I feel like sometimes the Lord goes, you want to do this on your own? No, I don't like me. Don't leave me with myself. She's so mean. She says, stupid, a lot. Please come back. Fill me. Drive Cheryl out away from this house. And I I believe with David, God withdrew. So David could see, David, you're no better than anybody else. This is you without the grace of God upon you. This is why you need my constant deliverance from your own nature. Because you have this propensity. Remember how David was hearing this story. Nathan comes to him and says, I'm going to tell you a story. There's this man in your kingdom. He has just one lamb that's very precious to him. His neighbor has lots of lambs. But when the neighbor was entertaining guests, he went and took the poor man's one lamb. David hearing that says, that man's going to die. Terrible, bad. You see, that's probably what David was doing as he was ruling his kingdom. Terrible, bad, 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 bad. And God says, David, I want you to know your own nature. I want you to know who you are and what you're capable of. Because I want you to see that you need a deliverer, even from yourself. And God delivered David even from his sin, from himself when david's son absalom rebelled and was hostile and formed this hostile coup that tried to take over israel in second samuel 14 through 18 god delivered david from this opposition that arose even in his own household we find in second samuel chapter 17 that god delivered david from the counsel of ahithophel which was the wisest most intelligent counsel In fact, we're told that Ahithophel's words were so wise, it was like wisdom that came straight from heaven. But even the wisdom, the greatest wisdom of the world, God was able to deliver David from. In 2 Samuel 21, God delivered David and the whole kingdom from famine. And then in 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21, 1, we find that God delivered David from his own foolishness in numbering the people. When he yielded to Satan's whisper, God was even able to redeem that and to deliver David. And then in 2 Samuel twenty-one, sixteen, God was able to deliver David in his own weakness. God delivered David from Ishbi Binab, who was a relative of Goliath, a son of Goliath who had come to avenge his father's death and had David cornered and David was about to die, but God stepped in. So David could reflect on his life. He could connect the dots of all the times when he should have been killed, captured, destroyed, disqualified, defiled, but God had redeemed him. And as David connected these dots, the picture of God as Savior, Rescuer, Restorer, Forgiver, Qualifier, Sanctifier, and Blesser emerged. And David saw that God was absolutely committed to him and committed to keeping David in his promises, through his promises, by his promises, and to his promises. And God desires to do the exact same for each one of us. There is nobody here who is exempt from the promises of God. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have become an heir to all the promises of God. And God is now committed, committed to bringing you into sustaining you in, giving to you, fulfilling to you all of his promises. Jude 24 and 25 says, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. In Psalm 32, 7, we're told that the Lord surrounds us with songs of deliverance. When we reflect which Thanksgiving is that chance to reflect and to actually connect the dots, to look back and take inventory of our life. We can note and highlight all the times that God has delivered us. We see then the pattern of God's faithfulness in our own lives. And we see that he is committed to keeping us in the promises or the place where he can bless us. You know, it's said that before you die, your whole life flashes before you. I was driving with my mom and dad this one day. My dad was driving, and my dad got kind of distracted pointing out something to my mom that she couldn't see, so he was working all the harder while he was driving to point this thing out to her, not realizing that he was drifting into the lane and cutting the guy in the Porsche off I mean, completely. I mean, he went right into the guy's lane and almost, and I'm watching this whole scene. I'm not even caring what my dad's trying to point out to mom. I'm like, somebody's got to drive this car and I'll do it from the back seat if I have to. And I'm like, dad, 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 dad. You know, you're cutting the guy off. And, you know, the guy starts honking and everything. And that's when my dad kind of turns and goes, whoops. <laughs> not, ma- not a man for great reactions, Whoops. And you know he kind of and you know what he does he just goes ahead and goes in that lane like he meant to do it and this man is infuriated. So he pulls up next to us and he's my mom's like oh my oh my oh 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 because of the faces and the gestures and everything he's making. And my dad kind of looks over and I and my mom said well he's he's so upset. And I said yeah well maybe you would be too if you saw your whole life flash before your eyes. My dad looks over and goes, must have been a bad one. <laughs> As you mark those places where God has delivered you, you see, if you look back, that God has delivered you from dangers, seen and unseen. All of us have places. We have a testimony where we could say, God delivered me at this place. I remember being with my mom, and uh, I had decided that I wanted an olive wood Bible. So I, so I had left the whole group in Israel, where my dad was directing the tour. I had left them to go find an olive wood Bible. My mom said, "I'm going with you," because she was always one up for adventure. And you know, my mom was so cute. She was like, "Yeah, I'll protect you. We'll go together." I mean, I think at this time she was sixty, and I was, you know, early thirties, and um, we left together. And we ended up getting caught in a riot at the Damascus Gate. And I remember my mom kept getting behind the CNN cameraman. And I'd say, Mom, I don't feel good about this. And she kept turning to me going, I was born in LA, Cheryl. As if that's the answer to everything. You know, if you're scared, you want to find someone born in LA, and you'll be just fine. And so the next thing I knew, the UN soldiers come running in. And they throw a tear gas bomb right in the middle of this assembly. And they start shooting rubber bullets into the crowd. And my mom turns to me. Now, remember, we're behind the cameraman. She turns to me. and She goes, run! And she's wearing a red jacket. Are you surprised? And the next thing I know is I see these huge Damascus gates closing and a red jacket making it just through. And I'm slammed up against the wall. And I can't follow my mom. And the bullets are flying, and I ease my way over to a UN soldier, and I said, I'm an American. I don't know what's going on here. And he says, follow me. And he takes me back behind the gate, and there's these two men drinking Turkish coffee and just sitting there like this is an everyday occurrence. And then these two girls, the UN soldiers bring these two girls back. And these two girls look at me, and they said, "Uh, where are you from? And I said, I'm from America. She goes, tell them what's going on here. Tell them. And they're, they're both getting very upset, very animated. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And then they're like, you stupid American, you stupid woman. And you know, they start screaming at me and they're really upset and they're, they're getting a little aggressive. And all of a sudden the UN, a UN soldier comes around the corner. He's going, shuttle Brotherson, Cheryl Brotherson. And there's my mom right behind him. There she is. That's her right there. That's what I want. (laughs) I knew my mom would come in to get me. But God delivered me. He absolutely delivered me. Delivered my mom too with an escort. But he delivered me also. And I could look back at that. And I mean, that was really one of the most intense times of my life. With the tear gas. uh, With the aggression. With uh, feeling this riot. And to realize God is able to deliver from dangers seen and unseen. How many unseen dangers have there been that have been inverted? I'm wondering if when we get to heaven, we get to see a video of our life with angels, where they become visible. Like you put the magic marker, and there the angels going, oh, you get her, this one's a bad one. You know, where God is just delivering us. I was walking my dog. This one time I was actually kind of jogging, and I hit this, this lift in the sidewalk, and I was being propelled into the street, oncoming cars. And all of a sudden, it felt like something lifted me up, stood me upright. And the next thing I know, I'm hugging a tree. I'm not a tree hugger. <laughs> and I'm looking at the tree going, how did you get here? And how did I find you? It was, the, it was the most amazing thing. And I know it was a God moment. Danger seen and unseen. I'll tell you one more. At least. At least. I remember, Brian told me after this not to walk early in the morning, but I like to walk when it's dark and the sun comes up. I love sunrises. I just love sunrises. So I'm walking, and all of a sudden, it's really dark, and I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe this wasn't such a good idea because there's nobody else around me. It's a little bit eerie, and I'm waiting for the sun to rise, but I had left a little too early. I think I, I, think I left around five, and um, it was dark, dark, dark. And I started to think, I don't know if I'm safe. And all of a sudden, this huge man came around the corner. Huge. But he had his hands lifted up. And he was singing a hymn at the top of his lungs. Be still my soul. I told you it's a singing day. He was singing with his arms raised so loudly. And it was absolutely beautiful. And he came towards me and his hands were raised. And, you know, I went past him, and all of a sudden I couldn't hear him, and I turned around, and there was no one there. You know, to this day, I think that angels might be large and singing and go at walks at 5 o'clock in the morning. I wouldn't test this if I were you because Brian told me I wasn't allowed to test it again. I'm not allowed to walk till the sun's up, so I have to look at the sunrise out my window now. But the thing that's amazing to me is God delivers us from danger, seen and unseen. We just need open eyes. We need to take inventory of what God has already done. God delivers us from giants, those insurmountable, looming, aggressive obstacles to victory. God delivers them. When they seem like there's no vulnerable spot where they can be taken down, what does God do? He finds the vulnerable spot and he takes them down. God delivers us from hatred and enemies and those that have a vendetta against us. God delivers us from ourselves. God delivers us from this world. God delivers us from betrayal. God delivers us in every battle. God delivers us from sin. God delivers us from bad counsel, from bad decisions, from bad family. God delivers us. And as we connect the dots, what we see is that God has always been faithful. As you connect the dots in your own life, you will find this image emerging of a faithful God who has been an ever-present help in the time of trouble, a God who has never failed you, a God who has always come through. And this should inspire you to know that he is not done with you. He will continue to be faithful. Jessica Newman, who went early to the retreat, sent me the lyrics of a song, that I absolutely love this song. It's a song by Matt Redman that's called Never Once. And I want to end today's study with reading you these lyrics, that you might take them as your own. And this is what it says, standing on this mountaintop, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful, God. You are faithful, Can your heart say, you are faithful, God? You are faithful? It can if you will simply connect the dots of your life. And you will be surprised at the incredible image that emerges of a faithful God who is absolutely committed to you, who loves you, who is for you, and is bringing you into all of his promises. Let's pray.